You're listening to the Agony Column News Report featuring interviews, phone interviews, reports from live book events and festivals, and conversations with readers. You can find additional news, interviews, book reviews, and more five days a week at the Agony Column website at trashotroncom agony. Thanks for coming. This is an unusual for us a Thursday night. We're doing it because we have some special guests in the Bay Area. And um, so let's get right with it. We have a very interesting lineup tonight. Our first author tonight described herself, I gave away who it is, uh, described herself as an interesting person until she decided to become an author. And then like most authors, she became just a grind, I guess, how she sees it. She's one of the few people in the science fiction field that uh, have graduated both from the esteemed um, Iowa University workshop and Clarion. Uh, she is widely published in short fiction and has exploded on the scene uh, with somewhat of a novaistic quality. And uh, and is working on her first novel, but tonight we're happy to have her here to read a short story. Let's welcome Rachel Swirsky. I like it when they have someone else do the introductions, because I always get shy and I'm like, hi, my name is Rachel, here is a story. Um, the story that I'm reading tonight is called Death in the All Night Donut Shop. Um, it is based on a real locale um, and uh, it was originally published in a uh, new literary journal called Unstuck, uh, which the editor is marketing to science fiction people as what it is, which is a journal of science fictional short stories, and marketing to lit people as, well, you know, it's just stories with a, like, a tinge of the unexpected or magical. So he's, he's trying to get the science fiction over there, and I think it's a fun project. So that's Unstuck magazine. Um, and I do have a question. Does anyone in the audience speak Yiddish? Excellent, then you won't know when I mispronounce it. <laughs> On the night of the winter solstice, when the dead get their annual reprieve, they go up to the 24-hour donut shop and wedding chapel to get hitched. Marriage is a good and proper pursuit for dead people. For a while, it relieves the dark, shuddering loneliness of the afterlife. When couples tire of each other, they go their separate ways, for the until-death part has already happened. The Whole Donut is a small shop containing a few booths and a plate glass window that overlooks the grit and grunge of a remote city block. Living employees slump over the counter, poking alternately at the cash register and the rotating display case. Living customers smell like smoke and sleepless nights. They wear hoodies and sweatpants, and their bloodshot eyes track glazed and old-fashioned and jelly-filled as they spin behind glass. Cramped quarters don't affect the dead. They mingle in spirit clouds, sometimes tiny and sometimes enormous. A hundred million squillion kajillion of them could dance on the head of a pin, but they probably wouldn't bother because the music on pinheads is terrible. Rainbow, not her birth name, is one of the deceased marriage seekers searching for a groom among ghosts. She died in 1973, at age 22, when her short-circuiting speakers got too friendly with a spilled half-gallon of antifreeze, which put the permanent kibosh on the garage band for <clears throat> excuse me, which put the permanent kibosh on the garage band, formerly known as Atomic Quicksand. 
Other musicians who died in 1973 include, uh, another mispronunciation coming, Jim Croce, Bobby Darin, J.C. Higginbotham, Gene Krupa, Kid Ori, Graham Parsons, and Willie the Lion Smith. She hasn't met any of them, but she assumes that if she ever does, they'll slap her a high five and shoot the shit about the music biz. She's also the kind of person who thinks celebrities really like it when you pose with them and ask your cousin to snap a picture. She's wearing a silver lame cat suit with flared bell bottoms, trimmed with sequins. Bleached into ironed blonde hair swings past her waist, ragged where it needs cutting. On the lookout for marriage, she advertises, strumming air guitar. Want someone to love me, love me, love me, love me like the rock of ages. She gets the eye from a fop in a powdered wig with a black beauty mark painted over pouting lips. A rough-looking Jane in dirty jeans gives her a two-second once-over before pulling out a cigarette and stalking off to smoke. A Kikuyu tribesman from pre-colonial past offers 20 ghostly goats, 10 white and 10 black, for the pleasure of her company. But Rainbow's heart is already beating for someone else. The sailor is clean-cut cute in his brand-new World War II double-breasted blazer. He smells vaguely of gunpowder and deeply of salt and sweat. Fine blonde stubble dusts his upper lip. He tries to pretend he's not interested. Sea-blue eyes cutting toward the linoleum. Rainbow pushes through the herd of bleeding goats and presses her glittery thigh against his knife-creased pants. Who do you think you're fooling, she asks, full flirt. What are you, a singer, singer in Sunday choir? Pink, <clears throat> pink cheeks redden like tomatoes on the vine. They call me Harry. She strokes his collar. May I snatch a little purity? They marry at midnight, standing on the counter between the cash register and the display case, miniaturized so that the whole wedding party could fit in the cashier's palm. The drag queen bride from the last ceremony rips a handful of netting off of her mermaid skirt and bobby pins it to Rainbow's scalp as a veil. Ring salesmen, never far from mortuary matrimonies, hawk sparkling diamonds and plain tin bands and everything in between. Rainbow and Harry settle on simple white gold and pay with a pair of sweet memories. A Spartan soldier stands in as best man. All warriors are comrades in arms, he explains gruffly when Rainbow gives him a questioning look. Dead cheerleaders dressed in orange and green take their places as bridesmaids, outfits fulfilling the twin requirements of being identical and ugly. <laughs> no one pays much attention to the dead reverend, least of all Rainbow and Harry, who are far too busy gazing deeply into each other's eyes. The cheerleaders squeal as the happy couple lock lips. Pom-poms rain down like confetti. Rainbow pitches her sunflower bouquet into the air and it flips end over end until it lands upside down on the youngest cheerleader's head, like an Easter hat. Rainbow and Harry hustle off to a life-size honeymoon on one of the vinyl booths, their bower red and shiny and sticky with glaze. Outside the plate glass, headlights rush past illuminating hangdog pedestrians. Trash blows restlessly along the gutters. It's the time of night when men get maudlin especially dead ones. Harry lies with his head on Rainbow's lap, staring into her face. I didn't mean to join up, he says. I was carrying a torch for this girl, and she sent me packing. I tried to drink away my sorrows and ended up meeting these guys at the bar. Navy guys. They convinced me to join up. Heck, after three days on a gin diet, I'd have signed my ex on anything. When I came to my senses below deck, I figured they'd sold me a line. But came time I realized they'd done me a favor. Outside you're nothing much, 
a pushover, a kid. Inside, you're one of the crew. They're on your side. Like a band, says Rainbow. Like nothing else, says Harry. Sure, says Rainbow. Rainbow doesn't want to admit it, but uh, Harry is already bumming her out. His earnest act is too apple pie adorable. If she doesn't find something to take the edge off, she's going to have to bug out early. She dislodges his head from her lap and digs through her bag for rolling grass, er, grass and rolling papers. Then the guys started rousing me, Harry goes on. Nails in my bed, pink dye on my uniform. One night it's my turn to wash the decks and they slip a rubber snake into the bucket. Wasn't their fault. They didn't know a sea moccasin got my twin sister when we were five years old. They didn't know I'd think it was real. I thrashed my way overboard and forgot how to swim. Two of them came in after me and I nearly drowned them too. Overcome with grief for himself, he pauses to dab away his tears. Wasn't their fault. Rainbow clucks her tongue in faux sympathy, like anyone cares. Does he hear her whining about the night she became a spark in the dark? Harry stares into the distance. Wasn't their fault, he repeats. Rainbow finishes rolling the doobie. She sticks it between her lips and inhales while striking a match. The tip smolders. Smoke puffs out sweetly with her exhalation. She withdraws the joint between index finger and thumb and offers it to Harry. What's that? He frowns. Gage? Don't sweat it, Rainbow says. Take a drag. Harry looks as prim as a church-going grandma. That's illegal. Rainbow throws up her hands. The joint trails smoke. Ich darf es via Lachenkopf. Now she can put her finger on it. Harry could be any of the goyim she used to watch with Rebecca Eidelberg and Sarah Baum from the steps of the Hebrew school in Brighton. She can picture him with a blonde, shiksa girlfriend walking to a soda shop. He reminds her of stiff collars and starched underwear and locked liquor cabinets. And separate pots for meat and dairy. He makes her feel like she's stuck being Ruth Yokoved Abramowitz. Fuck that noise. She blows smoke into his face. The law can get screwed. He goes red again, this time with anger. He grabs for the joint. She slaps his hand away. Should have known what to expect from an officer, she sneers. While she's gesturing with the doobie to show where he can shove it, Harry makes another grab. Somewhere in the fumble, the damn thing falls. It burns a spot on his dress pants. Horse feathers, he exclaims. If that isn't the damnedest thing. Despite herself, Rainbow starts to soften. This isn't Rainbow's first solstice marriage. Back in 1974, she plicked a flower child decked out in tie-dye and peace signs. They didn't even make it to the altar before he was calling her a mall hippie. Sure, fine, she's a poser. But she doesn't want to be like the person she'd be if she stopped posing. Dead people don't learn anymore. They don't compromise. They get stuck. Maybe it's because they've met the thing that dwells in the essence of space and time that doesn't give a crap about love and dreams in the American way. It's held them in its icy palm. It's blown its breath through their bones. It's given them over to the expanding dark. The living fear the dark because it represents the unknown. The dead dread it because they know what it contains. Forget it. Rainbow stubs the joint out on the vinyl. It hisses. It's not worth going ape. She leans forward with her eyes closed. Let's swap some spit. Harry slides his arm around her shoulders. They tilt their noses so they can lock lips. It's about as good as you'd think, what with Harry probably being a virgin and Rainbow having zilch experience when she wasn't blitzed and both of them being dead. Tongues go where tongues go. Fingers slip under some things and over others. Their hearts blow the doors off. 
Rainbow notices the fop from earlier leaning over the edge of the formica, fapping hard. She rolls her eyes and ignores him. The night advances. The fluorescent in the opposite corner goes dim. The cashier swears as he swings out from behind the cash register to get a ladder. No one else living has been in the store for hours. On weekdays, being a 24-hour donut shop and wedding chapel is better for drawing novelty seekers during business hours than generating 3 a.m. crowds. Soon, the first wave of tomorrow's customers will begin filtering through, red-eyed and grumbling on their ways to jobs that start before dawn. Ghosts wink out and start fading back into the sky. There's still time before light breaks, but no one wants to wait too long to be the last guest at the party. Rainbow slides away from Harry. She rearranges her bra. He fumbles with his pants. A living woman in scrubs carries her maple-iced donut over to their table. As she slides into the booth, Rainbow and Harry shrink down to miniatures. Rainbow waits until the nurse starts digging in her purse for her cell phone and then leaps onto the table to grab a ghostly handful of dough and glaze. She jumps back down to Harry, vinyl creaking under her feet, and holds out her prize. He bows out his head to eat out of her hand. His breath is hot. His smell is brine and lapping waves. She wonders what it would have been like to ride the ocean like he did, to have lived so clean that she didn't even blame the assholes who got her dead. Wouldn't have been much like frying in Jacob Hesner's garage. That's the real tragedy of it, not being dead, but snuffing out at 22. She can barely remember what it was like to change. Harry wipes the glaze from his mouth. He flashes her a daring smile and leaps up onto the table for his own caper. He returns with a double handful. Rainbow feels a twinge of worry about her figure before her dead brain reminds her that calories are a thing of her past. She lowers her head to eat. The donut is almost too much for her ghost palate to handle. It tastes like life, hot and sweet and gone too fast. She licks her lips. Harry grins. The world around them shifts into pallor. Outside, the sun is rising, ready to lead the world away from winter. Wham bam, says Harry. Thank you, ma'am. Rainbow salutes. It's been a blast. Harry's corn-fed complexion fades. He raises his fingers to lick away the crumbs just before they become ethereal. Rainbow does the same. For that moment, that very last one before they disappear into eternity, Rainbow savors the idea that they're tasting the exact same thing at the exact same second. It tastes like a nameless feeling she'd almost forgotten. It tastes like the conviction that coldness is the aberration, that comfort and companionship are the normal state of things. It tastes like everything's going to be all right. You're listening to the Agony Column News Report featuring interviews, phone interviews, reports from live book events and festivals, and conversations with readers. You can find additional news, interviews, book reviews, and more five days a week at the Agony Column website at trashotroncom agony.